Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 today. Matthew chapter 16. And I am excited about this message. Matthew chapter 16. Well, let's just read out of the verses uh, 13 through 19, I think here. Yep. And then we'll, we'll dive in. So. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Son of man am. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you just to minister to us today, speak to us, impart to us, strengthen us, God. Help us to get just another revelation of your goodness, of your glory, and of your, your character. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, what Jesus is basically doing here, and, and this is the first time that we, we really see this uh, in, done in kind of this way, is he is establishing for the first time what we would consider or call the New Testament church. He's establishing his church. And what he's establishing it on is the foundation or the basis of this revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah, and then everything that comes with and that is implied by that. That the power that the church needs in order to flourish, in order to grow, in order to become what it is that he's establishing in the beginning here, it needs his power in order to see it through. He's not forming a, an entity or a corporation or an LLC necessarily. He is establishing a supernatural organization right here. And he's calling it his church. And the reason I want to get into this today is this, this is kind of the title of the message, if you will, is what is the church? What is the church? And this is what I found is that today in the society, especially in America that we live in, where for the most part, Christianity is not an unfamiliar term to, to by and large to the population. But what I think is, is very much the case is that very, very many people have a misconception or a distorted view of what church actually is. And, and I'm not saying there aren't good reasons for that. A lot of things have been done harmfully, wrongly, improperly by churches 
in the name of Christianity that have wounded people and caused them to have a perception or a belief of what church is that simply isn't the, the belief or the view of the church that Jesus actually was establishing here, right? There's a view of church, but then there's the church that Jesus established. And so here's what I found is that people who are, we'll say like unbelievers, right, in the world, they, for the most part, a lot of them have an idea. They would have an opinion of what church is, but it's not an accurate opinion, obviously, in, in that situation. There are people who claim to know Jesus and I'm sure are most likely saved because they've confessed him as their Lord and Savior and given their life to him. But at the same time, they're not part of of a local church or a church congregate, a body of believers and, and would say things that would in indicate that they themselves have a very improper view of what church is. Are you with me? And then a third situation in which this gets really difficult and tough here, but we're just going to let it rip over this message, okay, is that there are people in church, attending church, going through the process of coming every week, who even they themselves don't necessarily have a full understanding of what this church that Jesus really established is designed to do for each and every one of us as sons and daughters of Christ, seeking out our calling in our lives. So there's an improper view in a lot of cases. Now, it's okay for us to say, well, everybody's got an opinion. You know, people have an opinion of what church really is. But let me ask you this. If Jesus established a church and gave it a specific function, then there can't be a bunch of right opinions about what that is. Can there? I mean, there can. Now, I understand that we have things, we have interpretation of the Bible. I get it. And, and I'm a student of interpretation. I have to be. If I interpret wrongly or incorrectly, it affects what I'm teaching and what I'm ministering. So, so when it comes to interpretation, we can have different interpretations. Even scholars and theologians will sometimes have different interpretations of different parts of the Bible or different verses of the Bible. I get it. It's an imperfect world. We'll know for sure what the real answers are on everything when we get there one day and the rest of the veil is pulled down. But here's my point. When it comes to the church, there are a lot of things consistently through the Bible that are very clear and very specific that really would eliminate a lot of the questions and a lot of the improper views that people would have about church if they were to submit to the fact that the word of God is ultimate truth. And what it says about the church settles it all. Are you with me? And so where I'm going, I feel like what the Lord has, has really put in me in this message isn't so much to like say... Here's what the church is, here's what the church is, and as much as it is, is to like, we have to be the real church, all of us, the full body of believers, have to be the real church, the authentic church, if she's going to get her voice back, and if she's going to change this nation again, which is, to me, the only hope that's left for the United States, is the church, is, look, the church is Jesus's answer for a hurting and dying, a lost and sin-filled world. 
He established the church because he himself, Jesus, God in human form, was leaving. He was going away. And so he was establishing the church so that believers, sons and daughters, could carry the Holy Spirit with them and could be the authentic church to to carry forth the answer, the solution to the lost and hurting and dying world for the rest of the time that the earth exists until it goes away. That was his solution. That was his answer was to give his Holy Spirit to us and for us to be what he's calling his church so that we could be the answer to a sin-filled, hurting, and dying world. So what is the church? And if we can be that church, then here's what happens. The preconceived, improper, wrong views that the world has, when the real church, oh, this is huge, (laughs) huge, When the real church is the real church in the midst of a hurting, dying world with misguided perceptions of what she is, then that real church confronts and conflicts with those preconceived ideas and beliefs that people have been harboring that are not full of truth. When when, when, when lies are confronted with truth, then truth begins to overwhelm the lies and the deception that the enemy has fed people. And what it does, because the church is, is filled with God's spirit, therefore, this is why it's not a business, it's a supernatural organization, is that it carries God's spirit with it. And, and so, therefore, it's living and it moves. And when a person who has an improper view of her is confronted with the authentic representation of her, it begins to deconstruct all of the improper, wrong, misguided views. And at the same time, by the Spirit of God, will reconstruct a proper view that's rooted and grounded in the truth of His Word. So... It's, it's huge, guys. And so we want, we, we want to see our nation turned around. We want to see God get a hold of this place again. And so where it begins is, is us here saying, what is the authentic church? How are we being the authentic church? And as we do that, the misguided, improper, wrong views are being dismantled. And then it's, and people are being challenged. They're like, wait a minute. Like, I have to rethink this again. I have to rethink that the church is a f- bunch of judgmental people that hate everybody that isn't like them. I can't, I, I can't believe that anymore because I'm seeing something that looks like Jesus here a little bit, I think, and, and, and it's challenging and conflicting with everything that I've been holding on to all this time. I can't just keep going on my way with these feelings and these beliefs that were hateful towards the church that were just pushing her aside because I've got something else in front of me here now that doesn't align with that anymore. Are you with me? And as the church is the church, the authentic church, then she begins to affect change. You don't have to, if you want to stay, I, that's not bothering me one bit, just so you know. I love kids. I have not, you know how loud it gets in my house? I have no problem with that. I promise you. Uh, uh. I just get louder. <laughs> That's how it happens in the house. It just gets louder. One kid yells, and another kid yells a little louder, and then another one yells a little louder, and then Katie yells louder, and I just stay calm and cool all the time. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so, so here's what I want to do. And I kind of suspect this is going to take two weeks, okay? Just because we've got a, is that okay? We've got a lot of ground to plow. Um, but what I want to do is I want to approach this in a kind of a fun way. Because to me, this is, this isn't, when you look at what the church is, yes, I think it's going to challenge a lot of us here. I really do. But when you, when you look at what the church really is, even though it challenges you, it, it should excite you. Because it's a propelling thing. It's moving us forward in our destiny and our purpose, right? But I want to I approach this and have some fun with it. So here's what we're going to do. How many people have heard of or seen that show, Mythbusters? Mythbusters. You know, they take a myth, they challenge it, and it's either proven or it's debunked, right? And so we're going to look at this and we're going to see some of the most common, most popular misconceptions about the church that the world is holding on to. And we're going to challenge them with scripture and we're going to see if they'll hold water or not. All right. Is it myth or is it truth? And I think I've got maybe 13 or 14 of them. There's a lot of research out there. There's a lot of studies that have been done. And I just pulled from a bunch of them. And I felt like, man, every one of these that I've seen deserve attention. So we're going to do that. So here's kind of how that works is we'll just take a myth like, for example, and we're just going to use this as an example. There's this common myth that's kind of going around here that somehow maybe Katie is actually faster than me. Okay? Just, just an example, guys. Just an example. Okay. So Katie, faster than Matt. Okay. So we're just going to take a myth, and then we're going to challenge it, and then we're going to hit it with truth. And so here's the truth. We had a 5K yesterday. My time was 23.20. Her time was like 46 minutes. So. Busted. It's not important that I tell you that she was pushing the stroller with all the kids and I was run. It's not important that you know that. It's not a big deal. It's, it's just a circumstance. It's, it's, it's weeds. It's little details on the side. Smoke, guys. It's not, not a big part of everything here. All right. So we're going to dig in here. <laughs> so let's take a look at this. All right. Myth number one. Myth number one. Church is a building. Now, this one's kind of interesting because a lot of times we can kind of just get in a routine of how we say things. And the way that the English language works is, you know, we don't say, I mean, I don't even say it. Like, well, I'm going to the building where my church actually meets at. And you don't say that. You just say, I'm going to church, right? And, and that doesn't necessarily mean we have a wrong view. But there are a lot of people who really view church as a, as a building, as a structure, as that's where the church is. She's there. She's in those walls. She's there. She's that building right there. Which obviously, if that's the case, what does that do? That limits the church to being confined into a specific area where a building actually would be. Now, we know that that's not true, right? In fact, take a look at this. The scripture that we opened up with out of Matthew 
when Jesus said, I build my church, okay, the word that he used for church in the Greek was ecclesia. Ecclesia, which is kind of where we get the term ecclesiastical, out, you know, ecclesiastical for churches. And, and so he used that term, but this is what it means. It means an assembly or a congregation, the whole body of Christian believers. Ecclesia actually comes from root word ek, which means out from and to, and then kaleo, which means called to something properly from the word of God. So what is the church then? It's, it's not a building at all. It is an organization. It is an assembly. It is a body of believers who in unity have all been called out of something and called to something. And in that calling to, it has united us in something. Are you with me? So what is it that we've been called out of? It's very simple. We've been called out of a life of sin and death. Before we knew Christ, we did not know salvation. We were spiritually dead, the Bible talks about. But when we received Christ, we were born again and his spirit lives in us. And so we were called out of that life of sin and death. And we were called to a life of what the Bible calls as righteousness and salvation, which is right standing with our heavenly father. And as we are called out of and into that new life, we have been united with one another as a body, as an assembly, as a congregation that has absolutely nothing to do with the walls and the structure that we are meeting in. Are you with me? And here's some of the things that can present challenges is, you know, we live in a world where everything has to be done now with permits and, and by the book. And there's so many rules and so many regulations. And, you know, a lot of attention and emphasis is given to the building that churches meet in. It's just true. I mean, you have to I mean, I hope and I pray God that God gives us a new building one day. I really do, and that we can build something of our own that we can meet in. I do, but I understand that there's also a challenge in that at the same time where in a lot of cases, people, not even just the outside world, but people in the church can begin to place way more value on the structure that they're meeting than the actual assembling and the uniting of themselves as a body together. Are you with? I mean, I was just I was just talking to somebody a while back, a pastor, and they're going through this project where their church building is old and it needs renovations. And it's it's like a multi-million dollar project to do all these renovations and stuff to the building. It's going to take several years. They're going to have to raise tons of money. They're putting a large majority of their weight and emphasis over those several years around that objective. Now, I'm not judging that. I don't know. I'm, it has to be done if they're going to stay in the building, and I get it. I'm just trying to make some points here that that could potentially be a challenge at the same time. Because if the mission is to be the church in the world, and we get so focused on a building and a structure, it really can distract us from the mission at hand. Are you with me? The church... It's not about being a building or a structure. It's about being a body of believers together. And, and think about this. When the, when the New Testament church was first established, when Jesus did that, did you know it was like a few hundred years before they ever really actually started building buildings to meet it? They met where? From house to house. 
They assembled in places where they could assemble. Give me a place to go. Let's just go and be church. <laughs> That's what they did. When the Roman, uh, when the Roman uh, nation, whatever, when Rome got a hold of Christianity and then the, 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 the ruling nation began to accept that, that's when they started building these grand buildings and these churches and these things that were built for God that they could begin to start meeting in. Obviously, there was a temple in the Old Testament, but what I'm saying is, is the New Testament church that Jesus established and spoke his life into, gave his spirit to, they were meeting wherever and whenever and however they could. It didn't really matter about a building. Do you know what I'm saying? They, and, and then a the few hundred years later, we see that here comes Rome, and then they start building all these glorious structures. And I'm not saying that's not, I mean, those things are beautiful. It's so long as we really understand, guys, what the church actually is. So long as we understand what the church actually is. Amen? So, I'm just going to assume, hoping you're okay with this, that we have debunked that. The church is a building, is a myth that that is not true. Number two, that the church is where I go to get my needs met. The church is where I go to get my needs met. Now, Here's the, here's the basis of this, of this misconception. We, we, first of all, we do go to church to receive. We understand that. But the basis of this one is that that's all church is about, is that we go to receive. That's what this, that's what this principle is. Now, while we go to church to receive from God in ways, for example, of hearing the teaching and, and the word of God taught to us. We go to encounter God corporately with our body of believers. When two or more gather together in my name, there I am in their midst and I'll be with them. Right? We, we encounter and experience God, not exclusively here, but in a way that's different when we come together corporately. So we're receiving that way. And we're receiving from the relationship of the body that we're a part of in ways that we don't necessarily receive from. So we, we do come and receive from church, but here's the point. It's not just to receive. It is also to contribute. Okay. It is also to contribute. And I say this for, for our good, because if we're only in church receiving and we're not giving, then there is a part of the calling and the destiny and the purpose that God has prepared you for that we're missing, that we're not walking in. Okay contributing and giving of our God-given gifts, talents, and abilities is part of how we fulfill and walk out the destiny that he has created us for. So we're not simply just receiving, but we are also contributing something to that at the same time. Yesterday, you know, we have six kids, right? And so yesterday, our twins, because it was their birthday, they got to go with Mama Laurie and, and Papa Eric for the day. And they took them out and, and took them to a fun time to get their beanie babies, right, or whatever. And then they stayed the night there. And so then they brought them. You did bring them to church, right, today? Okay. So they're here today. Um, but listen, it's interesting. We woke up this morning, and my oldest daughter, Bella, and my five-year-old, Evie, is like, there's just something a little different about them. 
And I'm like, hey, how's it going, guys? You doing good this morning? And like, yeah. I'm like, what? I'm like, well, we miss Annalise and Alyssa, you know? And, and it just it started to occur to me that we are a family unit. We are obviously eight strong. And, and while we are all a part of the same dynamic, each of us individually contribute to the environment in a way where there is a felt uh, effect that happens from us being a part of that family together. And whenever one of us is removed or two of us are removed, yes, it's a little quieter, but it actually changes the atmosphere. And there's something that is missing that simply cannot be replaced unless the person that's gone was there. Now, think of that as a family of believers. When you come to assemble together, when we meet corporately like this, and I'm, I believe this with all my heart, guys, I do. Every last one of you in a chair here today have affected this place in a way that could not have been affected if you were not with us this morning. Your contribution was unique and it was intentional. It was part of God's plan. It was exactly what he prepared us for to do. And if, if people aren't here corporately gathering with us together as we're a body, then there are things that are simply absent that God is designed for us to have here. Are you with me? We don't just come and receive, we contribute. There's a, I read an article about uh, or a sermon about the word residue and this guy was in a mechanic shop getting his car fixed and he was going around looking at the car and remember this Ted and seeing what what was happening and what was wrong with his car and he was kind of bumping up things against things in his nice clothes and he got out and he's like you know I had grease on this arm I had dirt and dust over here he's like there was all this residue left all over my nice clothes he's like and I got to thinking about it like anytime you bump into something there's some kind of a residue that's left and you might not be able to see some as good as others, but, you know, there's a residue there. And his point was, is that we as a body of believers, when each of us who are uniquely gifted and wired and talented and created for things that nobody else is, bump into each other, when we gather together, there's residue that's left on each and every one of our lives that is leaving something that God has created us for. I mean, he's prepared us this way where we need one another. We need to be a part of a body of a family in order to really fully receive what it is and to walk in the calling that he has created us for. And, and God's infinite in his wisdom. And so he understands that that's exactly what it is that we needed to walk out our destiny. And it's a part of his perfect plan. Read, listen to this. Read, uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Just a couple more things on this point. Romans chapter 12. Verses 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, use them, use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If ministry, let us use it in our ministry 
who teaches in teaching, who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. It's not an exhaustive list. There's lots of gifts. What he's saying is, is that our gifts are meant to be used. Our gifts, when we gather together, every member of the body plays a role, has a function, has a uniqueness that nobody else has, and that those things God put in you, right, divinely, are meant to be used, are meant to be put to use. Now, here's a very interesting thing. I've noticed this through the years, that when someone begins to engage in the body of Christ with their gifts and their talents and their abilities. We have gifts, talents, and abilities everywhere we, we go. We carry them with us, right? But when, when they engage in the body of Christ with those things, they flourish and they reach levels unattainable if they're not being used within the body. Think about that for a second. It's very powerful. In fact, there are gifts I would submit to you that all of us have, that if they haven't been tapped, if they haven't been used in the body, they're gifts God's given us that simply just remain dormant. Because unless they're ignited supernaturally, there isn't anything that can provoke them and sustain them and activate them naturally. Does that make sense? I've seen this where literally I've had guys, when I was very early in ministry, not even on, uh, on a lay level, I was leading a ministry that was a jobs program, helping people to, to get jobs, perform, do interviews, craft resumes, all these things. And uh, we had a great group of volunteers from the church. And it was amazing to me how many of these people that came, that, that started serving, had lost their jobs. And so they were just, they were unemployed, you know, and they had time on their hands. And they were like, you know what, I feel like God's just saying, while I'm waiting for a job, I'm, I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm doing everything I can. I'm still going to serve in this area and I'm going to help other people find jobs. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like that inspired me so much. And did you know I could give you countless guys, I'm not kidding, examples of people that did that, that within a matter of, of time, usually within months, a few months, had jobs that were better than the ones that they lost before that. And a lot of them just continued to serve and help and volunteer in a ministry capacity, but also began to thrive and flourish in the jobs that they found in ways that they never had before. I just ran into one of the guys yesterday, and he's been at the place for now going on, I think, four or five years. He's been promoted several times. He's got an amazing income now. I mean, it's just like the grace of God, you know? So my point is, is that we're not just coming to church to receive. We are receiving, but we will receive at the full level that we can receive at when we are also understanding that we're here to contribute to the body as a member, as a person playing a role. One last scripture, and then I'll move on to the next point. This one is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. From the whole body, joined and knit together, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Wow, it's challenging stuff. Can I just say it straight up? 
your contribution, my, my growth depends, part of my growth depends on your contribution. That's what he's saying. The, every member plays its role. Every member is engaged, has a, has a part to play. And as they do, it edifies the body. It grows the church. Every one of us here, our growth has a whole lot to do with the people around us right here, their contribution of what they bring when we gather, when we come together. I'm not just talking about serving. I mean, that's part of it. I'm talking about coming in here with your whole heart, understanding I'm coming to be a member of a body that I'm united with other people in because of a spirit of Christ that lives in us. It's powerful stuff. So church is where I go to get my needs met. I'm going to say that myth has been debunked. All right, myth number three. Myth number three. I love this stuff. Church is one day a week. <laughs> you like that one. <clears throat> now, really, we've, we've, we've plowed a lot of ground already on some of the scriptures and some of the things that I've, I've shared with you about this. But we do have this pervading mentality, even still in the church, that when we come to church on Sunday, that we, then it's like we've, uh, we've, we've checked that box for the week, you know? Um, it's just, it's kind of a mentality that is, it happens in the church where it's like we go to church on Sunday, we do what we feel that we're supposed to do. And then after that, we're like good to go for the week. Now, of course, there's something about assembling together that's different than what happens other days of the week. But the point is, is that if our mentality is that church is only one day a week, it is going to drastically inhibit our ability to walk in and fulfill this calling that God has created us for because the unity of the body and, and the functioning as a, a body together is a 24-7 thing. If there's life flowing through the body, when is it alive? All the time. Right. I mean, you can rest, you can work, you can travel, you can do all things. But really, all the while, your body is alive, is living, is functioning, has energy flowing through it, is affecting things. It is it is it, it, your presence is changing the atmosphere of things when you go places. So the idea that we would tune in and then tune out, uh, check in, check out, tune in, tune out. It's like when we're here at church, we're at church, and then when we leave, church is done for the week. It's a dangerous mentality if we don't really just grasp that we are united as, united as a body and functioning as a member of that body 24 hours a day, seven days a week because God's spirit is in me. I'm alive because of it, and there's gifts in me that are still meant to be used, functioning, and affecting things outwardly all the time, not just when I go to that building on 400 Park Street between 11.15 and 12 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. might be 12.35 today, okay? That's just, 
That's just not the mentality. That's not the truth. And I do find it interesting, guys. I do find it interesting that the early church, they met like every day together. They did. Now, it's a different time. I get that. I mean, there's some people that would have some different views on that and everything. But I mean, if you really get down to it, they understood the significance and the value of being around one another who, who believed like-minded to sharpen and strengthen one another. They gathered together every day to engage in fellowship, to engage in community because they were getting so much from that that they simply suffered from not having it enough. I just think that's very profound. Now, I've talked and you've heard me talk about just how technology can be really, you know, problematic today to our focus and our concentration on God and everything else. But I will say this, part of technology that's nice is that it allows us, it does allow us to stay connected with one another in ways that we couldn't without it. And so I, I feel like, you know, hey, we, not, we may not come here and meet in this building every day, but we're traveling in cars to go meet at our life groups all week long and gather together on another evening or day of the week to engage in this community with each other. We've got our phones that we can text each other. We can call each other. We can check in on one another. We can find out what people need prayer for. I mean, all of these things are right here available to us at our fingertips. It's actually very easy to do when you think about it. And so the challenge, the check, the test is how, how that, how serious am I focusing on those things? Like how much of those things am I doing? And, and what do my days look like each day of the week outside of Sunday? How connected am I with this body of people that I'm meeting with on Sundays? This would be a great test. I won't do this. But if we were to just stop having services on Sundays for, let's say, six months, and then we came back together again after that and we had a, a service on a Sunday, would we all be strangers? Would we all be like, where are, how have you been the last six months? Or guys, I mean this, or would we, would we not miss a beat because we're involved with each other in our lives and we're connected and we're part of a body and we're just moving forward seeing that we are the church 24-7, not just on Sunday mornings. Amen? Amen. All right, so I'm going to say church one day a week is debunked. We're going to hit one more today. We're going to hit one more today. Which one is we going to do? Ah, that's a good one. Okay. Church is for perfect people. I can just scratch it off right now, right? I mean, have you met your pastor? Seriously. Yeah. Paul, right? Yeah. There you go. So the church is made up of perfect people. And we all laugh and we all kid around. But listen, it's, it's, this is the truth. There are a lot of people who, who are very distant and want nothing to do with church because this is exactly the view that they have been given. It's exactly the view that they've been, maybe even many of us have had that at one point before and thank God if he deconstructed and reconstructed that for you, right? But listen, the Bible says very clearly, and I'm assuming by the response that we are by and large all on the same page in this, 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says if we think and say that we have no sin in ourselves, 1 John 9, then we deceive ourselves. I love Jesus with all my heart. I am committed to his plan for my life, but I will be the first to tell you I am a messed up dude. I got problems. I got issues. You know, I mean, you hear me. I'm, I, I mess with Katie all the time about being faster than her, right? I mean, I, there's all kinds of stuff, guys, that we, we all carry. We all are people. We're imperfect people striving to seek and serve a perfect God. If the church was filled with perfect people, none of us would be here and there'd never be a church service ever. Are you with me? But the reality is, is that the, the world, a lot of people who can't stand the idea of church, even the mention of church, have been hammered by with a mentality in the church that is this self-righteous attitude, this self-righteousness, this judgmentalism that somehow thinks that because we have been saved, that somehow now we are perfect. And that couldn't be further from the truth. If anything, I am more aware of my imperfectness now than I ever was before. Are you with me? We'll close with this scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. Church is for perfect people. So, this... These verses between 1 and 7. Okay, he says, Paul's saying this, and I'm, I'm going to just briefly explain. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery of, written already by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the, Holy, by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is what he's saying. This is the mystery here that has never been revealed before. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. This is huge because this is what, when Jesus established his church and he said, I didn't just come for Israel, I came for the world. What he did was he invited every soul to become a part of his kingdom, to become a part of his body, to become a part of his family. And as nation of Israel was concerned, the Gentiles were dirty. They were filthy. They were imperfect. They were just, they were a lower class of people than they were. And, and Jesus, when he established his church and he came for the Gentiles, he just destroyed the whole idea that there was ever anybody who could ever earn anything or could ever do anything to get themselves into a place where they could be a part of God's family. He gave them grace so that everyone, Gentiles and Israel alike, 
all were being drawn on by God's spirit to be to accept his invitation of Christ as their savior and that all the body of Christ would consist of Gentiles and it would consist of Israel. It would consist of old people, young people. It would consist of black. It would consist of white. It would consist of people from this country. It would consist of people from that country. The body of Christ became a universal organization. And I say that because we are all, the, the Bible says that God's desire, Peter says this in his epistle, he says that the desire of God is that none should perish, none, but all should come to everlasting life. If we had to be perfect or we had to be something, a certain place or a certain standard before church was for us, guys, it wouldn't be this perfect church that Jesus established. It's for everybody. There is no perfect person. And the, the more, in my opinion, that we can exemplify that, that we can be transparent about that, that we can be humble and walk in humility about that in the midst of a lost and dying world, the more this misconception of church being for perfect people. The more this self-righteous attitude that ever finds a place in the church, it's a pharisaical spirit is what it is. It's demonic and it's from the devil. And it's not an authentic representation of Christ. And the more that we can be transparent in our walk, in our lives, as imperfect people, loving and seeking a perfect God, being changed and transformed every day, growing in faith and in the things that he's created us to do, the more that that view will be deconstructed and put to rest. And people can lay that thing aside and say, okay, I will come. I will see. I will look. I will hear. Because now I get that I'm not too messed up. I'm not too imperfect. I'm not too, I don't have too many problems to come and hear about this Jesus that you serve. Let's stand to our feet today. Myth number four. Didn't write it down, but, oh, that's cool. It's an X. <laughs> Bunch of Xs. That's great. All right. Debunked. 